Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Science of Success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success. I'm your host, Matt Bodner. I'm an entrepreneur and investor in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm obsessed with the mindset of success and the psychology of performance. I've read hundreds of books, conducted countless hours of research and study, and I'm going to take you on a journey into the human mind and what makes peak performers tick. With a focus on always having our discussions rooted in psychological research and scientific fact, not opinion. Today, you're going to learn how adding one simple question can triple the rate of your success. How a church used flowers to exponentially multiply their fundraising campaign how one free drink generated over a 500% return, and much more. I'm super excited this week because we are kicking off a new mini-series within Science of Success called Weapons of Influence. This is the first in a six-part series based on the best-selling book Influence by Robert Cialdini. If you love that book, this will be a great refresher on the core concepts, and if you haven't read it yet, Some of this stuff is going to blow your mind. So, what are the six weapons of influence? The first is reciprocation. The second, consistency and commitment. The third, social proof. The fourth, liking. The fifth, authority. And the sixth is scarcity. Each one of these weapons can be a powerful tool in your tool belt and something to watch out for when others try to wield them against you. Alone, each of them can create crazy outcomes in our lives and in social situations, but together or combined, they can result in huge impacts. Something billionaire business partner of Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, once described as Lollapalooza effects. 
Remember in episode one, when we talked about the biological limits of the human mind? If you haven't listened to that episode yet, you should absolutely go back and check it out after you listen to this one. In that episode, we talked about the automatic click were response that gets triggered when a cognitive bias comes into play. We talked about how evolutionarily beneficial traits and behaviors can sometimes manifest themselves in ridiculous outcomes, like the example of the mother turkey taking care of a polecat, which happens to be its natural predator and enemy. These weapons of influence are exactly those kinds of cognitive biases. Now, we are really going to get into the meat of some of the most powerful cognitive biases that cause human decision-making to go haywire. These weapons of influence can be used to manipulate you if you don't know how to defend against them, and can be part of your arsenal if you learn how to harness them. Here's how Cialdini describes the impact of these weapons in his groundbreaking book, Influence. Quote, Each principle has the ability to produce a distinct kind of automatic, mindless compliance from people. That is, a willingness to say yes without thinking first. End quote. And don't forget, we like to keep our discussions grounded in the science. Each of these weapons of influence are deeply rooted and verified again and again by experimental psychology research. And in this series, I will share a number of crazy, hilarious, and sometimes sad examples of that with you. The topic today is weapon of influence number one, reciprocation. I will start with an overview of what reciprocation bias is. Then we will dive into a number of wacky research studies that demonstrate this behavior in the real world. And lastly, we will look at some of the practical implications of how you can use this in real life. So, what is reciprocation bias? Part of the reason these biases are so powerful is because they have been built into our minds by thousands of years of evolution, and in the vast majority of cases, were incredibly evolutionarily beneficial. It's something that has been ingrained in humans since birth and in our culture for millennia. Here's how Cialdini describes it. Quote, According to sociologists and anthropologists, one of the most widespread and basic norms of human culture is embodied in the rule of reciprocation. The rule requires that one person try to repay in kind, what another person has provided. By obligating the recipient of an act to repayment in the future, the rule up for reciprocation allows one individual to give something to another with confidence that it is not being lost. This sense of future obligation within the rules makes possible the development of various kinds of continuing relationships, transactions, and exchanges that are beneficial to society. Consequently, all members of the society are trained from childhood to abide by the rule or suffer serious social disapproval, end quote. Here's how Cialdini defines the reciprocation rule. And note one of the terms he uses is a bit clunky. He often cites what he calls compliance professionals, which is essentially someone who is trying to get you to do something. Think of a salesperson, a boss, a negotiator, 
someone who's trying to get you to comply with their request. That's why he says compliance practitioners. Cialdini uses this throughout the book as a blanket term to describe those who wield the weapons of influence. Here's another quote from Cialdini where he lays out the definition and some of the ground rules of reciprocation. Quote, One favorite and profitable tactic of certain compliance professionals is to give something before asking for a return favor. The exploitability of this tactic is due to three characteristics of the rule for reciprocation. First, the rule is extremely powerful, often overwhelming the influence of other factors that normally determine compliance with a request. Second, the rule applies even to uninvited first favors, thereby reducing our ability to decide whom we wish to owe and putting the choice in the hands of others. Finally, the rule can spur unequal exchanges. To be rid of the uncomfortable feeling of indebtedness, an individual will often agree to a request for a substantially larger favor than the one he or she received. End quote. In a nutshell, reciprocation bias is the tendency to reciprocate when someone does something for us, which makes perfect sense when you think about it. But the power of the bias really manifests itself when you think about the fact that, one, the effect still holds even when the gift is unwanted and even when you don't like the person giving you the gift. And two, the reciprocation often takes the form of a substantially larger gift than the original gift. Now we're going to dive into some of the research and see how exactly reciprocation bias impacts people in the real world and what psychological studies have shown some of these effects can be. One of the first experiments is something that I call the Coke bottle experiment. And in this experiment, there was a subject in a room and there was also an experimenter with him. His name was Joe. And they had some sort of task that they were supposed to perform. Um, it was kind of a red herring. And it, there was a two-minute break in the, middle of the, in the middle of the study. And Joe would leave the room and... In, in, half of the, in half of the instances, he would come back with nothing and they would just continue on from the experiment. In the other half, he would buy two Cokes and bring one back, give one to the other person and say, hey, there was a, there was a drink machine uh, and I thought you know, I would grab you a drink too and just gives it to them. At the end of the study, they would have Joe then ask that person to buy some raffle tickets from him. And this was in the 70s, so he would sell them for 25 cents, which doesn't sound like a lot. But Joe would basically say, hey, by the way, you know, I'm selling these raffle tickets. I was wondering if you would be willing to buy some. So one of the most interesting things was that in the scenario where people, where Joe didn't bring back anything, where he just, you know, went along with the experiment and then at the end asked them to buy raffle tickets, there was actually a liking scale and they, and they, after the experiment had people rate how much they liked Joe and basically they would give him, they would buy a certain number of raffle tickets from him based on how much they liked him on a scale. And so, you know, they would obviously have already purchased the tickets and then they would come in and say, okay, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how much do you like Joe? And they would go through a number of kind of questions about him and his behavior and everything else. And there was a, there was a pretty strong correlation between how much they liked him and how many raffle tickets they would buy. But the most fascinating thing 
is that in the instances where Joe brought back the Coke and gave it to the, uh, to the subject of the experiment, the relationship between liking and compliance was completely wiped out. For those who owed Joe a favor because he had given them a drink, even though they never asked for it, it made no difference whether they liked him or not. They felt a sense of obligation to repay him, and they did. And again, this experiment took place a long time ago. So at the time, a Coke cost 10 cents. He was selling these raffle tickets for 25 cents. So the average return that he had for the people that he gave the Coke to was more than 500%. It's a pretty fascinating study. But the, the most interesting thing about it is the fact that even though it's a, it's a minuscule, small gift, in the scenario where he didn't give them anything, how many tickets they purchased was completely dependent on how much they liked Joe. But as soon as he gives them a 10 cent present, the relationship is completely obliterated and all they care about is repaying that favor that he had given to them. Another fascinating example, and again, this one takes place many years ago in the 70s, and, the, and part of that reason is that Influence was written originally in the 70s and it's been updated a number of times. But another example from the 70s is, is of the Hare Krishnas, and this was a religious sect that now it's not really very popular, but back then they kind of experienced this huge growth and this huge boom. And it was funny because they had been struggling for a really, really long time financially and they couldn't figure out how to raise money. And one day they kind of happened on this idea of, of giving people a flower before they asked for a donation. And so they would go to high traffic areas, they would go to airports, they would go to bus stations, all that kind of stuff. And they would basically just come up and hand people a flower or they would hand them uh, a small book of their scriptures or just some small gift. And they would, they would not accept no as an answer. They would say, no, this is, this is our gift for you. Please take it. Please accept it. And as soon as they implemented that strategy, they went from struggling, stagnating, being kind of a, you know, a washed up religious order to massive growth. They exploded. This fundraising strategy completely revolutionized the church. Here's how Cialdini describes the Hare Krishna strategy. The unsuspecting passerby who suddenly found flowers pressed into their hands or pinned to their jackets were under no circumstances allowed to give them back, even if they asserted that they did not want them. No, it is our gift to you, said the solicitor, refusing to take it back. Only after the Krishna member had thus brought the force of the reciprocation rule to bear on the situation was the target asked to provide a contribution to the society. This benefactor before beggar strategy was wildly successful for the Hare Krishna society, producing large-scale economic gains and funding, the ownership of temples, businesses, houses, and property in the 321 centers in the United States and abroad. So the Hare Krishna example is a great example that shows us how even if you don't want the gift, somebody who you don't like, don't care about, can give you something, and suddenly this bias gets triggered and you feel obligated to give them something back. There's a similar example uh, in pharmaceutical research, and this example showcases also the superpower of incentives, which we will talk about in a later podcast, and that's something uh, we talked about Charlie Munger before. Charlie Munger, again, the billionaire business partner of Warren Buffett, once said that he has been in the top of his age cohort. He's been in the top of his age cohort his entire life in understanding the power of incentives, and his entire life he has underestimated them. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Anyway, this example showcases the superpower of incentives. A study in 1998 found that 100% of the scientists who had published results supporting a certain calcium drug had received prior support from the pharmaceutical company that produced them. But only 37% of those publishing critical results had received the same kind of support. So again, you know, it's something that incentives are incredibly powerful And it's something that we often think, yeah, of course, I know incentives are powerful. But the reality is even when you account for the fact that you know how powerful they are, they can be even more powerful than that. And even something as simple as funding certain types of research, right? And you can see this in global warming or tobacco or all kinds of different things. Often the people who fund a lot of this research, the scientists, even if it's at not at a conscious level but at a subconscious level, often come to conclusions that support whoever happens to be paying their bills, right? Paying their paychecks. And so 
there's an Upton Sinclair quote that it's hard to get a man to understand something when his paycheck depends on him not understanding it. Another really simple example, and this is this is pretty crazy. <clears throat> we all know what a pain in the ass it is to have to fill out you know surveys from from an insurance company or whatever other ridiculous junk mail. Most people just throw it out, right? Like, I, I mean, I know personally that I throw gobs of mail out every day. I just get a ton of junk in the mail. Um, well, in this experiment, and this took place in 1992. The, an insurance company actually found that uh, when they mailed people a fifty dollar, uh, when they offered a fifty dollar reward for completing a survey, they they didn't have a lot of traction. But when they switched to just sending people a five dollar gift check along with the surveys, they doubled the effectiveness of their strategy. So literally, instead of getting paid fifty dollars for filling the strategy out, when people received upfront a five dollar gift. The reciprocation bias kicked in, and they felt some sort of obligation. Uh, you know, oh my gosh, they sent me five bucks. Yeah, I'll, I'll take thirty seconds and fill out this survey. But it was literally one tenth of what they could have been offered, and it was twice as effective. It just shows you how powerful reciprocation can be. Another example is if you ever get those things in the mail where they send you shipping labels that have your own name and address on them. I know, for example, AAA sends me those all the time, and. Having read Influence, I ruthlessly exploit them and just take the stickers for myself. Um, but one charity found that when they would normally send out a, a mailer requesting donations, they would have about an 18% success rate. But just by including those individual shipping labels, they doubled their success rate to 35%. Again, it might not seem like that much, but think about the fact literally just including a few shipping labels doubles their success rate with that strategy. It's just like the, you know, I mean, reciprocation is incredibly powerful bias. But now we're going to get into what I think probably is one of my favorite examples of how powerful the reciprocation bias can be. And that's what's called the zoo experiment. The zoo example is one of my favorites because it's so nakedly obvious that there's a cognitive bias at work here. This piece of research highlights something that's called the rejection and retreat technique. Cialdini and a group of researchers conducted an experiment where they approached college students and asked them to volunteer and take juvenile delinquents on a day trip to the zoo. Okay, in that study, that was kind of the control case. 83% of the students said no. And I mean, I don't really blame them. I, I probably would have said no myself. But next, they changed things up just a little bit. They did the same experiment on a different set of college students, but they tweaked it just, just a tiny bit. They added one question before they asked the students to take the juvenile delinquents on a day trip to the zoo. Before they asked that, they asked the students, would you like to volunteer two hours a week for a minimum two-year commitment to be a counselor for juvenile delinquents? 100% of the people said no, but they then followed up with the same request. Would you like to take juvenile delinquents just on a single day trip to the zoo? In that instance, 50% of the people said yes. That's a tripling of the compliance rate simply by including a question that every single person said no to at the beginning. That's pretty wild when you think about it. They went from a 17% yes rate to a 50% yes rate. Without changing the question, all they did was add another question at the beginning that triggered the cognitive bias because they conceded and backed away from their position and then the other person felt, okay, well, they made a concession to me. I'll make a concession to them. And that's why it's called the rejection and, re and the retreat technique. Now, the rejection and retreat technique is something that 
everyone on some level or another is probably familiar with, right? And that's just kind of a piece of research that really validates that. And everybody's heard kind of the, you know, when you're dealing with negotiations or whatever, that you should ask for more than you want and blah, 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 blah. But it's, it's not just hearsay. It's not just, you know, folk wisdom. It's actually validated research. But one of the even more interesting findings is that they did a very similar study. But what they really wanted to understand is, is this so nakedly obvious that, yeah, it works on the front end, but then as soon as people realize that they've been taken advantage of, they're not, you know, they basically, they lose the buy-in and they don't care anymore and they're not going to continue to kind of comply with your requests, right? So they did an experiment with blood donations. Another fascinating example of the rejection and the retreat technique is how it can create longer lasting effects and is nearly immune to the idea that people would refuse in the future because they feel like they were taken advantage of. So in this experiment, in the blood donation experiment, they had college students who were asked to give a pint of blood as part of the annual campus blood drive. Then they had another group of students who were asked first to give a pint of blood every six weeks for a minimum of three years, right? And then they backed down to, okay, well, would you just give a pint of blood once, right? So it's the same kind of thing with the juvenile delinquents, the same strategy. You have one control group and you have one group where you ask, you know, a ridiculous request and then follow it up with, okay, well, will you just, you know, do something a little simpler? And the results were replicated, of course, that people were more likely to comply when you first offered them kind of the, the really tough question. But the fascinating thing was the students who actually went to the blood center were then asked if they would be willing to give their phone numbers so that they could be called upon again to donate blood later in the future. So the finding was, or, or what they were testing for was, okay, the people who we essentially you know, tricked or used these weapons of influence on, are they going to be kind of bitter and are they going to say, okay, well, they tricked me into going here or whatever and thus be less likely to give their phone number to donate in the future? Well, what actually happened is the students who had the rejection then retreat technique used on them, 84% of those students gave their phone number and said they would be willing to donate blood again. The students who were just in the control group who were only asked, hey, will you donate a pint of blood? Only 43% of those students said that they would be willing to give their phone number and be a donor in the future. So even for future favors, even when somebody might know or feel like they've been taken advantage of, the rejection then retreat technique proved superior. And the reciprocation bias is so strong that it can carry through something like that weeks later. So now that we've looked at some of the research, what are the practical implications of this? Right? How can we use this in our everyday lives? Again, as a refresher, the reciprocation bias is the tendency to reciprocate when someone does something for us. Sounds really simple, but what are the practical implications of that? What are the takeaways from the research, and how can we apply this stuff to our everyday life? The first major lesson is that reciprocation supersedes our wants and our likes. The effect still holds even when the gift is unwanted, and even if you don't like the person giving you the gift, right? The, the Hare Krishna example and the Coke bottle experiment and the, and the blood donation research all point to that conclusion and all demonstrate that conclusion. And that's why it's so powerful. The person doesn't even have to like you. The person doesn't even have to want the gift. If you give it to them, it will trigger this innate subconscious desire, need, obligation to reciprocate. Similarly, Reciprocation can trigger unequal exchanges. A small initial favor can trigger 
the psychological response to do a much larger favor. The Coke bottle experiment is a good example where Joe had more than a 500% return on his gift, but there are countless examples of this in real life. The third lesson is that this applies to concessions in a negotiation. Think about the zoo experiment and the rejection and retreat technique. If you make a bigger ask and then you give the concession to the other person, they feel this deep subconscious obligation to make a concession also. There is a little bit of a caveat there because subsequent research has shown that if your initial ask is sort of too big or too ridiculous over a certain threshold, people will see right through it and they'll basically, they won't get kind of caught in the reciprocation trap. But as the blood donation research showed, as the zoo trip showed, it can be a pretty hefty request. And as long as you concede and back down, you can double, triple your compliance rate simply by adding another request in at the beginning. That's a little bit more burdensome, a little bit more onerous. So how do you defend yourself against reciprocation tendency? How do you stop somebody from exploiting you by using this strategy? Cialdini says that knowledge and awareness are the best defenses and that you should steel yourself against the feeling of having to reciprocate a gift. One of the best ways he suggests combating the reciprocation bias is by reframing in your mind from a gift to a trick. And here's, here's what he says in Influence, quote, If gifts were used not as genuine gifts, but to make a profit from you, then you might want to use them to make a profit of your own. Simply take whatever the compliance practitioner is willing to provide, thank them politely, and show them out the door. After all, the reciprocity rule asserts that if justice is to be done, exploitation attempts should be exploited. And I talked about that briefly earlier when I, when I gave the example of the including the shipping labels and the mailer nearly doubling the effectiveness of that fundraising campaign. That's why when you get those free shipping labels, you should steal those things and don't worry about even replying to the rest of the mail. Just throw it out because exploitation attempts should be exploited. So that's reciprocation bias. It's something that's incredibly powerful. It's something that I hope this research demonstrated to you shapes and impacts our lives in a number of ways. And now that you're aware of it, not only can you use it for good and use it for your own benefit, but now you can stop people from exploiting you by using the reciprocation tendency. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand 
our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com. Sign up right at the homepage or if you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.